Would you like a little more foreplay in your life? I mean specifically brain foreplay? Well then tune in to the most dynamic host, Dr. Rick Perea, performance psychologist to professional athletes and the stars. No failure is final and no topic is off limits. It's time to get real and get your checkup from the neck up. Good day, everybody, and welcome to Brain Foreplay, our progressive podcast that wants your brain to play. Brain Foreplay. And today is our checkup from the neck up, our mental Monday. And today our topic is going to deal with an often taboo topic, um, often under-discussed topic, and that is suicide. You know, I've been touched by suicide in my what's called my micro-ecosystem. Everybody has a micro-ecosystem and a macro-ecosystem. Micro is those people that are closest to you on a daily basis, and then macro are the people you see just on a semi-regular basis. Um, and I've been touched by four people um, in recent years, in the last three to five years. And quite honestly, I'm fed up. I'm fed up. Like, I can't, I can't do this anymore in terms of um, wondering why, trying to discover new reasons and motivations for understanding suicide. And quite frankly, I owe it to my friends that have experienced suicide. And that's what today's show is about. And we're going to talk about some of the some of the original research around it, but we're also going to talk about experiential aspects to suicide because I think in our society we are generally losing touch with each other in a very human way. You know, recently I took my three sons to Costa Rica and uh, we went down to a, a surf resort. And it was a very, very humbling experience in the sense that after two to three days there, I noticed that I started to become more human. Okay. And I know that sounds crazy, but I began, I began to feel more human. Like I wasn't a robot, like I wasn't a, a football coach, like I wasn't a psychologist, like I wasn't a person that just jumped on this hamster wheel and just kept going. And I noticed my relationship with my sons, who are 14, 16, and just about to be 19, college freshmen, became closer. And they became closer to me because we slowed down. Now, I'm not up here postulating that we all moved to Costa Rica so we can slow down. But what, am, what I am asserting is that we've got to find a way to become more connected in our society because I believe we're becoming more disconnected. You know, here at Brain Foreplay, we talk about an array of topics, but some of them are sports. My background as a performance psychologist, I've worked in the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball. And you can see behind me is a jersey of one of my dearest now friends who is a Super Bowl 50 champion, Ryan Harris. And I was the team psychologist that year, 15, 16, for the Denver Broncos. 
But I, in, in my experiences in pro sports, in organizational performance, I've done so much organizational performance with corporations, individual, working with people, coaching them, helping them be um, solution-based in their practices and protocols. But I have seen through all those practices, I know how to win championships, national championships in college, world championships in pro sports. We know how to do that. But do we know how to slow down and become connected and authentic with each other? That's the question I ask. Because at the core element of suicide, and I have one of the textbooks I used to teach at, teach from. I used to be a college professor at the University of Colorado and Metropolitan State University in downtown Denver. And I used to be a professor there, and I used to teach out of these textbooks. And I remember talking about suicide and it was a very, very interesting day when that topic came up because some people got really quiet and some people came alive. But I do know this, that there are a couple underpinnings to suicide and that's sadness and hopelessness. And when we reach a level of sadness and hopelessness where we are no longer using logic to make decisions in our life about whether we should live or not, that's the point when people actually make the decision. And what we've got to understand is we have got to become more connected than we are in our society. But here at Brain Foreplay, we talk a lot about sports, but we also talk about real life topics. Notice how I just said sports wasn't real life. <laughs> but here's the key. In sports, we think it's life or death, right? But in life, it is life or death. And I want us to understand the underpinnings of sadness, of hopelessness, of disconnect. Let's just take college football's changes in the last five years the, with the transfer portal. If a kid can just put his name in this portal and move schools, leave USC, go to Oregon, go to leave Notre Dame and go to Michigan, wherever they want to go by just putting their name in this transfer portal. We've made it that much easier to become disconnected. In fact, I won't name the athlete, but there's an athlete that was having great success at their school, all conference level player, and they just decided to leave to a, a, a competitor in their conference because they could make more money in this NIL, this, 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 this platform where these college athletes can now make money. So when you have team, when we make it that much more accessible for people to leave teams, in free agency and in, in pro football, for example, you know, players are going to play for three or four teams. You look at Vaughn Miller, who is here in, with the Denver Broncos. I love Vaughn. Great, great human being. Great player. Spent most of his career with the Denver Broncos, but then in free agency left, went to the Los Angeles Rams, and now he's with the Buffalo Bills. That's three teams. You know, back in the day, a player could spend 12, 14 16 years. John Elway spent 16 years here with one team, the Denver Broncos. Now, you might say, hey, times are changing. I get it. But if you think about the sociologically driven underpinnings of that, it means that we're becoming more disconnected. We're more transitory in our society. And I really believe that that's a fundamental underpinning to us becoming disconnected. And I'm reading it out of one of my textbooks right here that I taught from. And I'm talking about research-based research names about suicide. And I want to just cover a few of these for you. 
Anomic suicide is precipitated by a break in an individual's relationship to their society. Okay? It can be their job, their family. It's a break. It's a disconnect from their job, from their family. That's called anomic suicide. But we've got to understand that's real. That's real. One of my dearest friends, Sandy Clough, who's one of the top radio guys here, really in the nation, he's, he's really unique in what he does. Very bright, very, very analytical as a uh, talk show, radio talk show host here in Denver, Colorado. Sandy lost his son, Ryan, four years ago to suicide. And I experienced the whole process with him from the moment he said we couldn't find his son to the moment that literally the night we were having dinner together and we pulled up to his house and the Arapahoe County Sheriff was sitting in his driveway waiting to give us the news that they had found his body. So I have walked hand in hand with the closest friends in my life. Recently, a former teammate of mine and best friend um, lost his daughter to suicide just about 14 days ago. And I am sick of it. I'm tired of it. Um, a person that's dear to me in my life, um, a person that I see on a sociological basis, her brother took his own life. So I got three of my very dearest, closest people in my life that have experienced this directly. And for those of you who listened to me before, you know that I lost my brother, not to suicide, but to murder. When I was seven years old, he was 18. So I know pain. I know trauma. I don't know suicide, but I know the pain of a sudden death that was not anticipated. The second kind of suicide is egoistic suicide. And this occurs when people have too few ties to human beings. There's just not a sociological connection for it. There's not enough human connection, communication, laughter, crying, real human emotions. You know, people can isolate themselves. One of the things I've noticed in the NFL, ex-NFL players that are my friends and or colleagues and or clients is a lot of them will tend to isolate themselves post-retirement post because they think a lot of people don't understand them. And I think there's a, there's, a, there's a legitimate piece to that. But isolation is one of the worst things we can do as a sociologically driven human animal. We've got to talk to people. We've got to converse with people. We've got to interact with people to really activate brain chemistry. Serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, epinephrine, oxytocin, the love drug. <laughs> That's what makes us love each other, Jesse. That's what makes us connect with each other on a daily basis, oxytocin. When we don't have sociologically driven interaction, the brain chemistry is stunted. And we've got to understand that changes the way we think, feel, and then behave. Think, feel, and behave. And, and that's just not okay. And I have pledged for the next 10 years of my career that I am going to do everything I can. And believe me, that's a lot because I'm not going to stop. To raise awareness about suicide prevention. By the way, 
before we get too far into the show. Thank goodness suicide has come up with a new, there's no 1-800 number anymore. It's just a simple 988, a national hotline, 988 for suicide for a suicide hotline. That's both good and it's scary. Because what it says to me is now we we've always had 911, right? For emergency situations. Quick, 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 we can get response. But now we've changed our suicide hotline to three letter three numbers 988. That's good, but it tells me, "Oh my gosh. There's so much of this that we now have to make it that much easier for people to access. And I don't want this to be normal, people. I don't want this to be normal. Because for every person that takes their own life, there's research shows there's 14 that are thinking about it, that are considering it, that are attempting it. We've got to change that. We've got to change that at the adolescent level. Like I said, I have three sons, 14, 16, and soon to be 19. They're not exempt. Yours aren't exempt. Jesse's aren't exempt. We have got to protect our, ki- our children from sadness, from hopelessness. And how do we do that? Connectedness. Connectedness. Loving each other. You know, in my book, I have a song that's chronicled, Love is the Answer. Love is the Answer. And for some of you, you'll say, oh, that's, that's too simplistic, Dr. P. It is and it's, it's not. We've got to love one another. We've got to understand one another. We're people first. And going to Costa Rica, I felt like a person again. I didn't feel like a robot. I didn't feel like a machine. And we've got to understand in these United States, we have got to do a much better job at connecting with people. Teachers, coaches, parents. What are we going to do? What are we truly going to do? You know, football coaches spend so much time on practicing football. I know. Worked in the NFL for a number of years. College football. I was a high school football coach for over 18 years. We spend so much time on plays, on drills, on scheme, on scouting the other team. This is how we're going to attack them. And we spend very little time, if any, on human interaction, cooperation, collaboration. How about understanding that person that's playing next to you? That three technique with the five technique, one technique. That's your brother when you're out there at war on a Friday night, on a Saturday afternoon, on a Sunday afternoon. And yet we spend very little time of understanding how to connect. And I can tell you as a former football player, high school, college, and I was in the NFL for two years, I'm going to tell you something. Relationships is the most important part of that. You know, my 19-year-old, 18-slash-19-year-old, is about ready to be a freshman in college football. I couldn't give a rat's ass about how many sacks he has, tackles, or anything. What I care about is that he learns to get along with people, he learns to love his fellow teammate, and that he learns discipline and structure that I've already set the, the foundation for. That's what I care about, the human connectedness. Not how much money he's going to make in NIL, not that he plays for a, a championship team, in fact, my son passed up Division I offers to play at a Division II level because I know the head coach is where he's going, John Riston, former teammate of mine. 
Because I know he'll learn structure there. He'll learn discipline. He'll be treated fairly. The, the coaching staff is not here today, gone tomorrow. They've been there for, for 15 years, and he's won a national championship at CSU Pueblo, but he's done it the right way. So whether it's anomic or egoistic suicide, we've got to understand suicide ends in one, one thing. That person's gone, and they have impacted the people that they've left behind. And we've got to do something. We've got to do something to raise awareness more than I'm sorry to hear, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. Let's prevent it before it happens. Let's be proactive instead of reactive in our society. Let's start teaching how people, how fifth graders can recognize somatic anxiety in their body. Soma means body. How they can recognize what that pit in the stomach means, what the pain in the chest means with the, the shaking, the, the sweating of the palms, and teach them that that's okay, but teach them how to get out of it through diaphragmatic breathing, through imagery, positive self-talk. Now think about the way we talk to ourselves every day, people. You know, there are people that wake up in our society every morning and say, damn, my life sucks. <laughs> my job sucks. My marriage sucks. How do you think your brain is going to react if you talk to yourself that way? And conversely, how do you think your brain's going to react if you say, I love my life. I love my family. I love what it feels like to be a great performance psychologist. Today is going to be an amazing day. Okay? Now, the brain will believe what you tell it. The mind will reason out of it or reason in it. But if we train this enough, the mind comes over. So we have got to teach fifth graders what anxiety feels like at a somatic level, at a cognitive level. That's thinking. Cognition means thinking. Sometimes our thinking gets muddled. We have what's called test anxiety. That's nothing more than being on the sympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system. When you learn to regulate that, you don't have test anxiety anymore. People, I'm telling you, there are some fundamental things we could be doing in our public schools to help kids pre-adolescent, okay, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, that they can learn how to regulate anxiety. And anxiety is a core element of hopelessness and sadness, the major tenets of suicide. But you know what? We're like, oh, no, I got to teach. We got to have math. We got to have science. We got to have social studies. I get it. But my goodness, when is wellness going to play a role in our in our middle schools, wellness. The NFL has adopted a new wellness program. Major League Baseball requires every team to have two mental skills coach. Requires. They're doing the same in the NBA. We've got to understand if pro sports is going to do it, don't we need to do it in our schools? Have a requirement that we have a class about wellness and mental health? Let me tell you something, people. When I went down to Costa Rica, the person that runs uh, the surf academy down there asked me to come back in, in 2023 and teach health and wellness, mental health and wellness at their resort, at his wellness center, Surf Synergy. And I'm like, hell yeah. And here's a country that doesn't have a military, no power orientation whatsoever. 
I repeat, no military, no power orientation whatsoever. And they have some challenges with mental health in a different way than we do. But if we don't get a handle on these different types of suicide and the origins, let me go some extreme cases so I can stretch your schema. Schema is the way you organize information in your brain. If you don't get your schema stretched, people, you're, you're not living a good life. Be around people that stretch your schema the way you think. You know, one, I was talking to one of my clients yesterday. They're here at Think One. Think One is my business here in Denver, Colorado. Think One, the behavior design specialist. Look us up. One of my clients was in here, and he said part of his goals and in his intake form was to be around people who are like-minded. And I thought to myself, okay, that's cool, like-minded. But you know what? The way we grow in this world is when people stretch the way we think. The way we, think. we call that divergent thinking. Divergent thinking. That means someone postulates something that's different than what you're thinking. And they grow you. And so whether it's a friendship, a romantic relationship, a business relationship, whatever relationship it is, does that person in your life grow you? Grow you. Not keep you stagnant. Not finish your sentences. <laughs> okay? But grow you. Cause you to say, you know, I hadn't thought of that. Hadn't thought of that. Wow, that's delicious when you have that in your life. But here's some extreme cases of suicide that you ne may have never heard of before. Oftentimes, when people become suddenly wealthy, that's right, I said when people become suddenly wealthy, a lot of ways to do that. You can marry into it, lottery, a bunch of different ways, right? Well, actually, not a bunch, but a couple. <laughs> I got evidence, people. I went to high school with a guy who won the lottery twice. Not once, but twice. I think over 13 million total winnings. You know what that person's doing today? Today, as we talk. He took his own life after winning the lottery twice. Now, someone might say, what? What are you talking about? Man, if I won the lottery twice, I'd be on the beach of Cancun just having a pina colada. People, the brain, that's right here, the brain registers that as stress and anxiety and elevation of mood. And if we don't learn how to regulate that, if we don't learn how to take that energy in a positive way, it can register in a negative way. So suicide is not only due to sadness and hopelessness, it's due to sudden change, sudden change, get it out there, coaches, sudden change in mood for a number of reasons. Some of them by society are perceived to be positive. So we've got to understand suicide is a complex topic. In fact, the latest suicide that I experienced with one of my best friends, did you hear what I just said, Jesse? The latest suicide I just experienced. Like, what am I saying? Like, how many are we talking about? How many are we going to chronicle? How many are we going to, you know, cover 
before we wake up and say we've got to do something different in our educational systems. We've got to do something different in our families. We're disconnected, people. We've got to become more connected, more loving, more approachable, more accessible. You know, I remember when, when my daughter was playing soccer in high school, she was a senior, and I remember I would see this one particular father at a game. And then three, four, five games would go by, and I had, wouldn't see him. And he got back to that sixth game, and I said, hey, bro, where you been? And he says, man, I, I've, I've been out of town on, on, in, on business. I'm like, wow, okay. What do you do? Well, I'm in sales. I do international sales. I'm like, wow, okay. So your daughter's a senior, right? Yep. I'm like, bro, I'm not here to you know, preach to you or lecture you, but you can't get this senior year back. Well, I got to do that. You know, I got to live the lifestyle we live. We've got, you don't have to live that lifestyle. How many times have we lived in a house that's five, six, seven thousand square feet, four car garage? We're keeping up with the Joneses, man. You know what? And the job we have to have to, to achieve that level of wealth and accessibility often takes us away from our family. I'll never forget when I first went to Spain and I discovered what they call the siesta every day. From one to four, everything shuts down. And I was literally in a grocery store and we were the last ones through and the guy was putting up a sign that he's shutting down for the siesta. And like a true United States citizen, I said to the guy, you know, what you should do is you can take a break, but you should have one of your workers come in here and keep Keep the revenue coming in. And he looks at me and he goes, no, 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 no. Everybody, everybody takes a siesta. But see, in the United States, what, what would we have done, Jesse? What would we have done there? <laughs> we would have hired someone to keep the store open so we could keep the revenue coming in for those, those three hours. Because can't lose that revenue. Or can we? Or do we lose something else in a trade-off? So back to that soccer, that, that father soccer. Came sen come, the, come the senior banquet when the girls were done with their senior year. We were walking out and we are in the parking lot and he calls me aside. And he says, you know, Dr. P, he says, you got me thinking the other day when you asked me about where I've been. And you literally told me you don't have to have that job. And he says, now that my daughter's career is done and she's not going to play college ball, I think I've lost a big part of my connection with her that could have been the greatest memories for the rest of my life. But he discovered that a little bit too late, people. It's never too late for us every day to go home and spread love. To go home and sit down with our kids, have them put their phones away, we put ours away, and connect with them. Run our hands through their hair. Hug them. Lay on the floor with them. Talk to them in a deep, meaningful way. Not just bypassing from practice to school, from school to workouts, from school to training. 
people, we've got to get a handle on our lives. Because this latest suicide that I experienced, it was a complete surprise to the family and to me. Complete surprise. This was a person that was successful, highly, highly respected in her field, and generally looked upon as a leader, as a leader in her industry. And if you looked at her from the outside in, oh my gosh, did she look the part. Beautiful, articulate, motivated, the wolf climbing the hill. And the kind of scary part of that is, people, is if people like this are taking their own life, we may not have all the signs. So one of the things I've said recently, I've been on Sandy's show, Sandy's Clough show here in Denver, Colorado on 104.3 The Fan. I said, we've got to check on people that we think are struggling. That's a given. But we've also got to check on people <laughs> that look the part of a successful person. Oftentimes, those people are carrying more of the burden. They're carrying more of the burden. And that's the case in, in this last suicide that I experienced through through my dear friend. She was carrying a burden. It turns out too big of a burden. As we came into the studio this morning, I was talking to, to Jesse, my producer here, and, and we started talking about the topic of suicide, and he brought it up too. He's had experiences with it too. People, it touches all of us. It touches all of us, either in a micro or a macro way. And even if it doesn't, we have a duty in our society to change the way we connect. So I want, I want to just say this one more time. Sadness and hopelessness are two of the major underpinnings that lead to a person taking their own life. And oftentimes you will have a person that will say, I don't understand why someone, how they could do this. How that could be such a selfish act. People, when you're hopeless to the point, when you're sad to the point where you're not even using logic anymore, you're not using the logic that that person just used. It's a selfish act. If they were using logic, people, they wouldn't take their own life. They would say, I better not do this because I'm going to hurt too many people. They would say, I'm not going to do this because of the negative impact it's going to have on my friends, my family. But they're beyond that at that point. They're hopeless. They're so sad, beyond description. So we have got to understand it from their point of view, not our point of view. We've got to stop being egocentric to the point where we, we look at this from our viewpoint. Obviously, none of us can climb in the shoes of a person that's gone and ask them, tell me why you really did this. But we can do research like we've done to identify the different types of suicide and the different motivations. I mentioned earlier my dear friend Sandy Clough, who lost his son Ryan. And I had coffee with Sandy a few days ago, and 
I told him that I, I, I'm going to start a foundation. I'm going to start a new awareness program around this because I'm just, I'm tired of doing this. I'm tired of saying the latest suicide I've experienced. I, we've got to fight. We've got to fight to find ways to get mental health and wellness into our schools, into the natural ecosystem. We've got to stop worrying about test scores so much and worry about human scores. Human scores, how we connect with each other, how we love each other. Are we graduating high school students that have great test scores, but they don't even know how to communicate with each other? Are we graduating high school students that have great test scores, but they no longer know conflict resolution? Are we graduating high school students with GPAs that are so high they're, they're off the chart? I don't even know what they go to anymore, Jesse, 4.8, probably a 5.0 by now, right? Are we graduating that, but not the ability to help their fellow person and become altruistic and look for ways to better themselves and others? Our society is so, so consumed by performance. Performance at work, performance at school, performance on the athletic field. And I get it. But we've better work on the performance of human interaction, human connectedness. Sandy. Sandy's heart is broken in a way that's hard for me even to articulate. My dear friend, and because it's so new, I, I, I'm not going to reveal his name, but his heart is broken. He sends me emojis every day the one that you have with the heart and it's cracked in half, literally cracked in half, literally broken half. And you've heard it a million times, but you're going to hear it a million one. Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. I'm a father, father of four. And I'm telling you right now, after the Costa Rica trip, after, and I'll say it again, Jesse, the latest suicide that I've experienced in my ecosystem, I am going to vow and commit that we have got to find a better way to cultivate and nurture connectedness in our society. I'm going down to Costa Rica between four to six times in, two, in, in 2023 to teach wellness and mental health. And I told that to a friend of mine yesterday and she says, what the hell are you doing going down there? You need to teach it here. You need to teach it here. And I do, and I'm going, I'm in, Three weeks, I'm going to a company to teach mental health and wellness out of state. But there's not enough teams 
There's not enough organizations that want and are willing to pay for mental health and wellness. I think they're starting to realize now. But suicide, suicide is an altogether different topic when we talk about mental health and wellness. When people become so sad and so hopelessness that their distress is intolerable, that's when they take their own life. Intolerable. They just want the pain to stop. Have you ever wanted the pain to stop? Have you ever wanted the pain to just stop? I would challenge you and say all of you have out there. I have. I've wanted the pain to stop physically. I've trained so hard physically throughout my football career. Squatted until I couldn't stand up anymore. My legs were wobbly and I fell to the ground. Pain stopped. But how many of us have wanted the pain to stop emotionally? and psychologically. I would challenge that most of us have felt that way at one point or another. And if you're listening to me right now, you didn't do anything, and I didn't do anything, but we thought about it. And I think that's the first step to realize that suicide's not taboo, people. It's not a taboo topic. It's a topic that needs to be more mainstream. We need to discuss it with our adolescents at home. We need to talk about it at school. Again, we need to have a program starting in fifth grade of teaching people somatic anxiety and cognitive anxiety and what it feels like, what it means, and how to get out of it and not judge themselves. You know, it's been well documented that Sandy's son had got a DUI approximately 45 days before he took his own life. And he self-judged. He judged himself, judge and jury. He felt so much shame around that. And that was one of the underpinnings for him to take his own life because he had become detached from his society. I want to read a poem that I put in my book that Sandy chronicled. And this talks about how suicide is is sudden and it's an end. And the title of this is I'll never really know. I can ask and have a thousand times why you took yourself away. I can cry and will a million tears, but still it slips away. I can rail and have a hundred ways at how you choose to go. 
but ah, the pain which you endured, I'll never really know. I can try and must to live my life, but still there seems to be a lack. I can grow and have amidst the pain, yet still keep looking back. I can pray and do that through the hurt, forgiveness lives to grow. But all the times we might have touched, I'll never really know. But all the times we might have touched, I'll never really know. I know you never meant for things to turn out quite this way. But the legacy you've left behind is a heavy price to pay. If I could sum the future up, I'd say, just let it go. But since I'm out of miracles, I'll never really know. I can cope and do with memories that sometimes flood my mind. I can laugh and have at all the quirks you've passed on down the line. I can hope and do that through my life, my own has more to show. But will I ever lose the pain? I'll never really know. Will I ever forget you? I'll never really know. And the last no is spelled N-O. Will I ever forget you? I'll never really N-O. You know, um, when I <clears throat> committed to do this week's show on brain foreplay on suicide, I wanted to come at it from a didactic angle, which didactic is a fancy word for learning um, my, my research in terms of when I was a college professor, and I've enlightened you a little bit on that, but also an experiential with, with Sandy and the people that it's, have touched it's touched my life that their family has suffered this. And now in a really emotional way with this poem that uh, Sandy postulated in my book. <clears throat> it seems so often in the United States, in our society, everything is done at a core level to monetize something and grow something in a way that can help our business feed our children. And I get that. I understand. We live in a capitalist society. But in talking about this today and delineating what suicide is, the origins, and then ending with that poem. It basically says to me, we got to focus on solutions. We got to focus on treatments and remedies. But I don't want to lose the point, people, about connecting. About connecting. That Costa Rica trip happened for a reason. 
It taught me a new level of intimacy with my sons that I always knew was there. And sometimes we reach it on a Saturday, Sunday. We go work out together. We get pizza. We hang out, watch college football, wrestle on the floor, tease each other, joke, laugh from the gut, laugh till we pee. <laughs> um, but that's got to be, that's got to happen more and more. And I would be remiss before I let you go today. I want to talk about a few things we can do. And I'll guarantee you this, this is not the last show. In fact, I'm going to do a three-part series on suicide. <clears throat> I'm going to bring in some, some experts and some people that have literally gone through this and talk a little bit more about it because I'm not going to let this, I'm not going to let this rest. I mentioned that there's a song called Love is the Answer, and I have it chronicled in my book. And I want to read a few excerpts from that song and how that can help us connect with each other and come back to a fundamental base of, of love and trust and belief. And then at the end, I'll talk to you about some electronic ways to treat the brain because we have some great, great ways to now treat anxiety, depression, and insomnia electronically. You know, so many people say, oh, I don't want to do talk therapy. I don't want to do coaching. I get it. That's fine. We have electronic ways to treat anxiety and depression. People, you need to get this help. You need to get this help. I'll chronicle it in a moment. Here's a few excerpts from that song. Who knows why someday we all must die? We're all homeless boys and girls, and we are never heard. It's such a lonely, lonely, lonely world. Todd Rudgren, who was the original <clears throat> author of this song, John Ford Coley in England, Dan sang it late 70s. It's a beautiful song. But if you think about that, <clears throat> we're all homeless boys and girls. We're all homeless boys and girls. That home you're living in, you don't own it. You own the note. You own the money that is valuable. You don't own it. It's going to be here when you're gone. Can't take it with you. Can't take that Jaguar with you. Can't take that Mercedes. And then it says, and we are never heard. We're, we're not heard. Our voice is often not heard in this society. At least not in a meaningful way that connects us. Again, football coaches, and I'll, and I'll call you out on the carpet. How much time do you spend? with your teams, baseball teams, basketball, hockey, working on that connected piece with the athletes. You don't have time, do you? You gotta get that latest wrinkle in, the latest scheme. Are your receivers aren't running the right depth? Your outside linebacker doesn't understand the difference between C-gap and D-gap. What about the gap between, between emotional connectedness? So when they leave high school, when they leave college, when they leave the NFL, they know how to connect with people. They know how to accept love, people. How many of us don't even know how to accept love? But yet we have PhDs, we have degrees, we have championships. We are never heard. It's such a lonely, lonely, lonely world. Why are they singing about that? Why is it such a lonely world? 1978. If you're going to be honest with yourself, it is a lonely world. It is when it comes to love. 
tell me, are we alive or are we just a dying planet? Ask the man in your heart for the answer. Are we alive? Are we alive? Or are we just a dying planet? People, does your heart, does your heart dance? Does your heart know how to connect with people? Does your heart accept love? Or does it just beat and keep you in this existence? If your heart's never danced, you've never loved. And it's said the graveyard is the richest place on earth, people. The graveyard is the richest place on earth. You know why? Because so many of us go to it with our songs unsung, with our books unread, with our peaks unclimbed. We didn't tell everybody we loved them like we wanted to. We didn't celebrate all the, the beauty in our world. And so we go to the graveyard with all of that still in us. Don't do that. Tell me, are we alive? We're just a dying planet. Here's the remedy, people. I'm going to give you the electronic in a minute, but here's the real stuff. This is a song still. When you feel afraid, love one another. When you've lost your way, love one another. When you're all alone, love one another. And when you're far from home, love one another. When you're down and out, love one another. And when your hope runs out, love one another. When you need a friend, love one another. When you're near the end, When you're near the end, love. We got to love. We got to love one another. Light of the world, shine on me. Love is the answer. I challenge you today to tell 10 people that you love them and tell them why you love them. 10 people. Come on, people. Come on. 10 people that you love them and tell them why. Don't just say, love you, and walk by them. I love you, but come here. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I love you. 10 people. 10 people. Let's do it. I'm going to do it. You're going to do it. Finally, let me end with this. There's a device called Alpha Stim. You clip it on your ears. It treats the alpha brain waves. We have them here at Think One. We have six of them. It treats anxiety, depression, and insomnia electronically, immediately. You can feel it working immediately. Neurofeedback. We do that here at Think One. It treats the brain at an electronic level. Treats the brain waves, whatever, if you're deficit, if you're too much, whatever it is, we regulate brain waves. People, there's a way to regulate anxiety electronically, in addition to all the traditional ways of talk therapy and coaching. But I'm telling you right now, 
If you know someone, if you, if you need help, call me today. Think one. I don't want your business. What I want is help for you. I want that 988 number, that national hotline, to be a cold line. I want it to be a cold line, people. Because we've got to make change, and I am guarantee you I'm going to fight. I'm going to be on the front lines fighting for the people we've already lost, but for the people that we can save going forward. At Brain Foreplay, we always aim to stretch your brain in the way you organize information. As the song said, we've got to love one another. I love you, I trust you, and I believe in you. 988-988, the national hotline. Let's make it a cold line, people. Let's lean on each other. Let's lean into each other and love each other. My dear brothers who have lost sons and daughters, my dear partners in life that have lost brothers, sisters, they have not died in vain. Thank you. Don't forget to join us next week, same place, same time, to get your checkup from the neck up. Fortified by foreplay. That's brain foreplay. And please remember to subscribe to this channel wherever you get your podcast.